Thanks for joining us today at BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. This is the second of a two-part podcast featuring the recipients of BIV's CEO of the Year Awards. The podcast is sponsored by the province's largest law firm, Faskin, with 800 lawyers in 10 offices in Canada, the United Kingdom, South Africa, and China. We're grateful for its support of our events and our journalism. Today, we're going to meet two CEOs at uh, what I think are slightly different stages of their paths, but with common successes and purposes to discuss. Marcia Nozak is the Lifetime Achievement Award recipient this year, and she has run, she built, the East Side Movement for Business and Economic Renewal Society, Embers for short, which is an extraordinary enterprise that has built jobs and purpose for those without privilege in our midst, in our communities. And Brad Liskey is the recipient in the small company category. Now he's launched in the last two years a phenomenally fast growing company, True Earth, that produces environmentally friendly detergent and a special note, environmentally friendly packaging. The two were among five recipients at our award show Monday, and I'm delighted they can join us today for a discussion. Good to see you both. Nice Thanks to see you me. too. <laughs> I, I wanna start with uh, with influences on you and, and you know, take us back as far as you have to in your lives, um, whether, or, or maybe it's maybe it's some adults, maybe it's teachers, maybe it's colleagues, who it is. But Brad, start me off, like where, where did this drive to build businesses come from? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and my wife asked me that many times. Um, and I think it, it really started um, very early age in that I, I was unfortunate to lose my father at the age of 15. Yeah. And it kind of rocked me into being a, a 20 year old immediately. Um, mm-hmm. I was the youngest of five kids and, and most of my siblings had, had moved on with their, their careers already. And I was uh, at home, but uh, at the age of 18, uh, I joined my brother and, and started uh, one of our first companies. And, and that kind of got me going. Um, and the influence, I guess, at that time was was my dad. So even though, you know, it was very few years we had together. And and quite frankly, at a 15-year-old, you probably didn't hear any, any lessons that he ever tried to teach. But as I look back, there's kind of three key things that, that I saw him represent that I, I continued in what we were, I would consider my career. And that, and that was to, to be kind, uh, to be humble, and then just get the work done. And that, that work ethic was, was critical. Yeah. After that, to, go further, hear, by the way, uh, you don't have to hear things in order to pick up on things, do you? No, you don't. No. And, I, and sometimes it's better uh, when you don't, because especially at that age where you don't believe anything. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as my career went on, there were several companies that I've, I've, I've owned over the last 30 years. So a number of different business partners, including, you know, my two brothers and, and a couple of very key people that taught me little bits and, and everyone had a different lens on reality. And I think that gave me an, you know, an understanding that, that people are inherently different, but we come down to the, to the core of that, that social responsibility to business and that the, the true successes, you know, resonate around that which you can create any type of movement or any type of, you know, belonging or belief system. Yeah. And the one I really resonate with is, is my wife, um, who helped me really understand, you know, what the most vulnerable among us actually means, you know, making yeah. sure that 
you know, the ego gets a hold of you as a CEO and, and she does a very good job of, of keeping me humble um, as, as well as just keeping me understanding that there's a lot of people that need a lot more than we have. Well, Marcia, this is a nice segue <laughs> of course, into your work, but take me back to the influences on your work, on your drive. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm just thinking about it now as I'm listening to Brad. Um, well, in terms of the drive, I think that, um, honestly, I think my piano teacher, I'm going to go back to my piano teacher who, you know, I, I do have, a, I do have a, a performance degree in, in, in piano and uh, she was, she was, she had drive and she would just say, you know, you have a mind like a steel trap. You can do anything, you know, she really pushed and pushed and pushed. And so I think there I had some sense of myself that I can do it, whatever. And my mother used to say, you can do anything you set your mind to. Although, you know, when we had a lot of, you know, I grew up in the sixties, we had a lot of conflict. I was very alternative. And so that's another influence, I think, was the culture that I grew up in in the 60s and the 70s. Really, I fought for the underdog. I was kind of always kind of like that, mm. you know, maybe. Why, why, did you, uh, why, why did you fight for the underdog? What was it about you? Uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. I, I, I think that I felt a little different than other people. And there was something that made me I was just attracted to people who were not just, I think maybe I was rebellious, just traditional. I think I grew up in a family, middle-class family wanted me to get married to a doctor and a lawyer and to do this and this and this. And I think I was kind of rebellious. And so it kind of took me into more of the underside and, you know, wanting to, yeah, yeah. I think it was, it, it, there was a, um, a sense of wanting to be more alternative, different than, than yeah. the traditional that my parents brought me up with. I mean, that, those are the early kind of influences. They're still there. That's nice. I, I hear in both of you uh, the values that you wish to convey. And, um, but I'm always wondering, uh, you know, it, it, there is a kind of a solitude still that takes place in the top of an organization. There, you know, there, there are only so many people that you really want to confide in. Um, but where where do you where is that outlet uh, for confidence in, you know, with someone, Marcia? I'll I'll stay with you on this. You know who who's out there that you can confide in because you know life isn't always perfect as a CEO, right? That's really true. I mean, I've stayed up many nights, uh, you know, my mind going and worrying about this and trying to find different configurations for that. Well, I, I work, uh, you know, honestly, I do work with my husband. My husband is um, a director of business development with Embers. So uh, we can, I can share with him my thoughts. It's very fortunate, you know, that I, I can kind of, bounce things off and um but you can't always just to your partner right you, there must mm -hmm. be other yeah, yeah. well I, that's true that's true um you know it's 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 a good question i mean i think that i have a few people um even on my board or but you know again sometimes you you want to talk to people outside um just people mentors that that i've um that I've come across with over, over the years, there've been some, some people in business there. I have some friends, good friends that, that I can talk to and, and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, nice. Brad, you know, you talk about your wife, of course, but uh, and your brothers and but where else? What's your what's the circle of some confidence that you have with people? Yeah, uh, you know, and that's a, a, a very critical piece of this. And I, I say quite often to to younger entrepreneurs is that especially entrepreneurialism, it's kind of one of the loneliest professions in the world. And uh, having someone or, or a group of people to speak with is 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 the way you can kind of survive. Um, and I have I have that you know that best friend type of uh, mm-hmm. environment where I'll. You know, he'll walk with me for an hour and I don't think he says more than three words. Um, you know, you just kind of having that venting, that that outlet and then trying to I try and get a kind of around a group of like minded people as, as best as possible. Uh, I've been mentoring out at uh, E at UBC and and other mentors and, and chatting with them and just knowing you're not alone in, in your problems and, and the challenges that you face uh, become uh, so important that you can then you know, wake up in the morning and face them again. Uh, those become that important uh, portion of, of survival. Yeah, and I mean, certainly um, for CEOs, what you also hear, apart from the that solitude that can sometimes be there, is also the, the pace and the pressure. And a lot of it's very self-imposed, but some of it's externally imposed as well. Um, so what I wonder about there, and Brad, I'll stay with you. Your self care. What's your what's your self care strategy? Yeah, to, to try to try and take care of yourself and 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 remember to allocate the time. Um, I I hang most of my hat on meditation. So okay. I, when when a couple of businesses I had and and. Uh, during 9/11, we were in the travel industry, and we took a pretty big, pretty big impact when when uh, the planes flew into the buildings. and And I took up meditation at that time. About seven seven years of training, I went mm-hmm. through to get myself to to slow my brain down, and and to just calm and be in the moment and and understand what's happening around me. Um, and then you try you try and do the exercise, but as age takes takes its toll, that exercise goes from playing basketball at night to to watching basketball from the couch. Um, but you try and you try and implement that, and you hope to again put those people around you that that want to see you you know make it past uh, you know past sixty. Um, so and you try and get them to to help push you and and get outside and, and do something. Meditation. Are you saying, you, uh, you're saying that you can't get fit by watching sports on TV? I'm trying. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I didn't figure that out yet. Um, uh, Marsha, how about you? Yourself? Uh, that's a good question, too. Um, I'm not that great at it, but I, there are things I do. Interesting you say meditation. I've been a student of Buddhism for many years now, and I do retreats, and that's definitely a big part of my life. I also have a, I have a very large extended family and grandchildren, and that's a I love that. Just spending every Saturday night, I have about 12 people for dinner, and you know I kind of you know get kind of grumpy because I feel like I'm cooking too much or I'm doing, but you know. I love it because I bring people together and it's so not my work outside. It's so, it's so different. And when you have, you know, a seven-year-old running around and, uh, you know, a preteen, it's, your, your mind is just focused 
totally on something different. So I, I actually enjoy it. I even enjoy doing housework. <laughs> yeah, Brad and I, we over on Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Oh, doors open. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're going to be seen, I think, today by a number of people that aren't really at your stages of success uh, yet. And they're going to look for the kinds of advice uh, that that typically a lot of newer entrepreneurs and a lot of people with, with also a sense of mission and purpose, even if they're not particularly business focused. Um, and, and they look at the two of you and they see that kind of success. And so impart a little bit about some of the advice that you give to people in order to get them on a on what you think is the most appropriate path, Marcia? Yeah, I I think, first of all, I mean, I think our world has got so many, it's just problems that are compounding, as we all can see. We have the environmental the climate crisis. We've got, you know, really a, a, um, a widening disparity between the rich and the poor and the haves and the have-nots. We, we, have, we have a lot of problems to solve. And so I would say we creativity, we really need people's minds, we need young people. And so I would say, first of all, allow yourself to be creative, you know, just don't copy somebody else, you know, see what's right for you. And then, you know, then I think you have to uh, persevere, you know, you have to persevere in what you do and be you know, believe in yourself and step up to the plate. I think there was a long time in my life where I, um, I had I had a lot of confidence in my capacity, but not in the world, my place in the world. And you know, it's taken me a long time to realize oh, my voice counts. So every voice counts more so than ever right now. So I would really say, you know, step into it. You know, don't be embarrassed. Whatever, just step up. Oh, nice, Brad. That's actually very good advice. Uh, I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> no, from from my perspective, when when I and people ask that uh, a lot right now, and one of the, the the number ones is is to when you hire hire smart people, and then let them tell you what to do. Don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. It, it doesn't it doesn't work. That's there's no use hiring the smart people. So uh, that's the number one thing to do. Um, from my also belief is that, you know, especially as an, you know, an entrepreneur leader is that your job is to make decisions based on the information you have at your disposal at that time. And then if you're wrong, clean up the mess. So just own it, fix it, and then move on. And don't get caught in it or get out of the way and say it's somebody else's problem. Just own it. People see you owning those messes, and, and, and they'll, they'll take that culture with you. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I tell them is to, to humanize, the, humanize the business. You know, it, it is, you know, that, that saying it's just business. Well, no, there's, it's not just business. It's, there's a human element to, to business at all times. And, and humanizing that business gets you a lot farther than just, you know, rattling profits. No, both of you, it strikes me, um, have um, immense purpose in what you're doing right now. And, and with that um, will come setbacks, not just always successes. And so I want to understand from each of you uh, first of all, how you possess and, and maintain your optimism, because I'm sure you're inherently both optimistic, but how you deal with setback. And that's, that's I think, another thing that budding entrepreneurs want to always know is how, 
how do you deal with some failure and all of it? So, so it's a two-part question. How do you keep the optimism going? How do you deal with the setback, Brad? Um, I think the optimism um, comes from the fact that that you're leading, so you're going to have to have uh, an element of optimism. If if your your energy kind of sets the tone of the energy of the organization, and I call it an organization and not a company, because it is a group of like-minded people around a purpose. So you you have a job. That's your job is is to find the the uh, optimism in that. And how do we deal with the failure is that we actually want it um, in, in our, you know, hyper growth world. Um, we want failure because that's the only way you actually learn. And that's how you change and how you move forward and how you disrupt. So if we want the failure, we just, we just don't want you to fail twice at the same thing. So it's to fail, fail fast, learn from it, and then move on. If you're not failing in our world, you're not trying hard enough. Nice. Marsha? Yeah. So um, optimism. Well, you know, I, I think there, you, you, optimism is in the world. You see how, how wonderful I'm working with people. I mean, just people that have been set aside by, by society and you get to know them and they're wonderful people. You see that. And um, so you have a belief in, in human life and human quality so you know the uh, the optimism comes from the work itself i think the people that i'm around also i think just the act of creativity and and that kind of thing it's 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 a it's a positive thing um we have a lot of problems and and we have do have a lot of setbacks and i would say it like in in our business our social enterprise i mean i can't i, I can't even begin to tell you how many mistakes i have made <laughs> along the way. I'll give you one example. You know, we're a temp staffing company and we work primarily with construction sites. And when I first started this company, I opened at nine o'clock in the morning. Oh. It, const- oh. <laughs> you know, like that's how it didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't strike me, you know. <laughs> They're having their lunch. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and every day in our office, we're always, you know, we're, we're, we're always, things are always happening, right? There's all kinds of things. And we look at it. We say, okay, well, how can we do this differently? Well, how did this happen? I do think you learn from your mistakes. It's the only way, because I didn't have any expertise. I had to learn the hard way, tripping and falling and getting up and going. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, the, look, the, uh, the pandemic uh, imposed a whole new layer or two or three or five atop everybody in running uh, operations and all that. And I, I want to uh, understand from you each what you feel you've learned, but mainly what you've learned about yourselves in the pandemic. Marcia? <laughs> um, I've, what have I learned? Um, let me think about myself. I've learned that I don't have to be, one thing is working, I've worked a lot from home. I never did that before. I would be in the office at 5.30. I was constantly, I've learned, I've learned that I can, I can work from home and I can let my front office staff deal with things. I've let go of a lot and allowed the organization to kind mm-hmm. of 
come to their own terms of, of operation and I can, you know, so that, that's something that's quite different really um, because I, 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 I tend to have been quite controlling and, you know, sort of in there a lot. And, and I, I think that I've pulled back in that way and I, I can watch from afar and I see, and it's, I've got a great team. So that's been great. Um, and what else, I guess, you know, I've, I've learned that I can problem solve, you know, we can, you have to be on top of it and you just, you know, problem solving, flexibility, they, as they say, pivoting, all of that, which I think everybody's had to do. And I think we've been quite good at that. And yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah. Those are good things. Um, Brad, what have you learned and learned about yourself? Yeah. Um, I, I think I learned about my, myself is how important kind of, being kind is um, be understanding that that the everybody's world's a little bit different and and their home lives are different and their work lives and 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 the uh, the mental stress that that the pandemic has put on our our team members um, and and trying to understand and make sure that I'm understanding that as well as reality is we're we're growing at this ridiculous space uh, pace. We went from 20 employees to 200 employees during wow. the pandemic. So there was yeah. 150 people I had never ever met, and, mm. and hiring them, and, and it's and it's it was weird, um, but it was it was kind of beautiful in, in a way too because here we were growing when when people were struggling, and and that kind of resonated with this is all right, this is good. It also taught me that distance doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, we we have talent now from Ontario and and Michigan, where where normally in a normal world I would not have put an executive team together um, with that much distance. And and really, it comes down to now giving giving everyone that opportunity. The pandemic has given everyone that opportunity to reach out because of these these Zoom calls. Um, so that's what I, I've learned. Yeah, I haven't uh, met a single executive yet in who, who says that he or she or they don't enjoy their job more uh pandemic strange as it seems right? yeah um so tell me both of you how how do you like your jobs more brad how do i like well i like my job more because we got a lot, lot more people that are i'm not wearing eight hats anymore um so that's why i like my job more but i don't think it had anything to do with the, the pandemic um or covid uh, i like my job more right now because the pandemic also created this movement um it, it put a big spotlight on um that the power of the planet and whether it's the coronavirus or it's mudslides or it's fires, all of these crises and emergencies are creating a global reality. And that's, that's empowering brands like ours to grab uh, legs that were otherwise there because people were kind of ignoring it. And the planet's speaking back right now. And she's saying, I I'm going to correct myself if you guys don't do something. So she's shown us a few ways how she can do it real quick. And, and for me, I like my job now because we're making that difference every day. Um, the pandemic also uh, engaged our, our donation strategy. 
you know, we, we didn't have that as part of our strategy as a, as a, as an organization pandemic hit and we had laundry detergent and people didn't. So this one was easy. Just give it away, right? Get it into the food banks, get it into the shelters, do whatever is necessary. And then now it's a, it's a core part of who we are. It's, it's one of our two KPIs that drive our organization. Um, mm. And without it, uh, we wouldn't be uh, not only retaining the customers we have, but we wouldn't be retaining the staff we have and this, this talent that we spent so much time on building. Yeah. Marcia, you must have some uh, some ways that you enjoy your job more and seeing the, uh, the fruits of the labor here over the last 20 or so months. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, it's, it, it, I'm not sure if I like my job more. I mean, I just, I think that's an assumption there that I'm not sure I would go with um, because there's both. There's both. I, in some ways I do and in some ways I don't. Um, yes, I, I really like what's, what we've done, how we've developed, you know, the, the Purolator accounts and all these other kinds of things. I love to see my leadership team uh, growing and, and I love to see... Um, yeah, I love to see just all the action and growth that's going on, and not be not be right in there in every, as I mentioned before, in every little bit. So it gives me a little bit of a step back. I miss the being there part, and that's the part that I don't love more <laughs> because you know I used to pre pre pandemic. Honestly, I was in the office between 5 30 and 6 every morning and I would drive workers to job sites because that's it and then I get to know them I'd have these conversations I'd find out about them and all that that was probably one of the, the most the best part of my job you know was getting to know the workers in that very intimate way when you're just you know like a friend and I miss that so you know okay I'll, I'll, I'll put an asterisk beside your thank like, you <laughs> yeah or, Take that one back a little bit and, and reconsider. Uh, well, listen, it's been a great conversation with the both of you. Um, sounds like, uh, Brad, we're going to Marsha's place for dinner. And uh, <laughs> you have to do the laundry, okay? I'm excited. Do- yeah, okay. not a problem. Yeah. We'll take the laundry over to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Thank you, right. guys. I want to thank, thank you so much for your time today. And, uh, you know, congratulations again on winning the CEO of the year with us. Brad Litsky and Marsha Nozick. Good to see you. Thank you, Kirk. Bye-bye. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business and Vancouver. Thanks a lot for watching. We'll see you again.